in some ways, the function of the heart is a very good example of a great deal of quite interesting physics as applied to living, breathing critters like us. So in some sense, physiology is physics of the living system, a system that's critical to life, yet satisfies the very same physical laws that apply to other things, more traditional things, that physics professors study. You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King, and today, so close to Valentine's Day, we're thinking about the heart. Well, actually, physics and the heart, which may seem like strange bedfellows, but aren't at all, according to our guest today, Professor Jim Miller. So uh, my name is Jim Miller, and my primary position is as professor of physics here in the Washington University Physics Department. Professor Miller also has appointments in the Washington University Schools of Medicine and Engineering. And each spring, he teaches a course called The Physics of the Heart. So how did a physicist come to teach a class on one of the most important organs in our body? I was a traditionally trained physicist. I was in a field that would be called uh, solid-state physics. Today that might be called condensed matter physics, just a slight renaming. It is also a field in which I worked with what is today magnetic resonance, and specifically we would say nuclear magnetic resonance and electron spin resonance. And so my primary focus then and now was ultrasonics. And so I used sound waves to talk to the spins, the nuclear spins or the electron spins, of very traditional physics systems. One day, he says, a colleague of his in the School of Medicine called him up and asked for his help in considering an alarming, potentially fatal problem clinicians were finding in some cases when patients were put on a heart and lung machine. His colleagues suspected that ultrasound might hold the key to better understanding what was causing this problem. And so Professor Miller plunged into the world of surgery and cardiology. And so here I had uh, all this very traditional physics background, but what was I now doing? I was learning surgery, not how to do it so much as what was the issue involved, uh, at the hands of some of the world's best surgeons. And I was learning cardiology at the hands of some of the world's best cardiologists. And I was absolutely hooked. I cannot tell you how much so I was hooked. I've always continued with the physics of ultrasound just for physics, but I've tried really hard to find ways to use that physics to play a creative role in medicine. Over the last few decades, Professor Miller has used his knowledge of physics and medicine to help cardiologists and surgeons better see the internal workings of the heart. Whether by pushing the boundaries of ultrasonics, or helping bioengineers develop contrast agents to give a clearer picture of the blood as it travels through the heart. Professor Miller maintains that many of the advances in cardiology and surgery over the last couple decades have come from the ability to watch the heart in real time. Although an enormous amount of physiology was known 100 years ago, 
It's surprising how much new physiology or how many revisions in old physiology came about when we began to make really high quality, real time or rapid images of the heart. And so tools, including my own field, uh, echocardiography and ultrasound, but many other fields that were imaging in origin, changed our ability to understand the detailed function of the heart. So all of this made me curious. What can we see when we look at the heart using this technology? What is it like to watch the heart beating in real time on screen? Most of the ultrasound is done on the chest of the patient. So we would say transthoracic ultrasound. And we have a variety of windows that we can look through very effectively. Let me just mention the first as one in which we kind of look from the tip of the heart, the bottom tip, that's called the apex. And we kind of look up from there and we can see all four chambers of the heart. From this angle, Professor Miller says doctors can actually watch the heart at work. They can watch the blood enter the right atrium, pass into the right ventricle, go to the lungs to exchange carbon dioxide for oxygen, and make its way back to the left atrium, and ultimately the left ventricle, which pumps the blood back out through the aorta to the rest of the body. Doctors can watch the valves that separate the four chambers of the heart release and capture the blood at appropriate times to keep the blood traveling in one direction. So, as fascinating as that is, I know you're probably asking, well, what does this have to do with physics? And the answer is everything. Now, it's a very interesting story, again, all about physics, but we're actually watching the physics. We're watching each of those chambers fill and empty. Uh, we're watching each valve open and close. If a valve opens and closes normally, when it's fully open, there's essentially no pressure drop across that region. But if the valve doesn't open fully, we'd say it was stenotic then what you have is a pressure drop across a valve where there should be no pressure drop. And so when that happens, we can actually estimate that pressure drop by looking at the velocity of blood flow through that region. We use the well-known Doppler effect. The Doppler effect essentially allows us to make an estimate of the pressure drop based on an equation that the physics community would call energy conservation. The engineering and physics community would also call that Bernoulli's equation, and the cardiologist would call it Bernoulli's equation. And here's one of the many examples where the working day cardiologist looking at an image of the beating heart and specifically looking at Doppler encoded velocity information in real time, is able to say, I can use the very equation that people learn in elementary physics to say to the patient, you have a small but insignificant pressure drop across the valve, we'll keep watching it, but at this point, nothing else has to be done. Or alternatively, I'm sorry to say you have quite a significant pressure drop across that narrowed valve, and it's something that does have to be addressed, and the addressing might ultimately be a surgical repair or replacement of the valve. When we look at the heart and consider its functions, obviously there's a lot of physics involved. 
Throughout his course on the physics of the heart, Professor Miller and his students consider things like the pressure of the chest cavity and how the pressure changes for things like open heart surgery and what surgeons and cardiologists need to do to keep the patient alive and breathing. They consider the volume and viscosity of blood in the body because blood can be thinner or thicker in patients with certain medical conditions, requiring more or less energy from the heart to push that blood through the body. And, as Professor Miller will explain, cardiologists use basic physics principles to diagnose and assess heart attack damage. Let's consider just that chamber, the left ventricular chamber, the chamber that does 80% of the work of the heart. The cardiologist would say that a resting person ought to be able to pump out something like, oh, maybe as much as two-thirds of the chamber's blood on each beat. And the limits of normal are taken to be 50%. So if you have 50% or more ejection on each beat, if your ejection fraction is 50% or greater, you're said to be in the normal range. Many folks have ejection fractions in the 60-70% range, and again, these are the at-rest values for these kinds of things. A person who's just had a heart attack might have ejection fractions at 30%, or even less, or perhaps a bit more. Depends, of course, upon how massive the heart attack was. Of course, at the end of the day, physicians, cardiologists, and surgeons don't only rely on physics. Like Professor Miller, who finds a home in the natural sciences, engineering, and medicine, if we're going to push the bounds of knowledge of the human body, scientists and your doctors need to use all three. A cardiologist would say ejection fraction is a useful first step, by no means the whole story. And, you know, medicine is wonderfully good at drinking in data from many different areas. And so the physician is looking at a whole bunch of blood tests that have been done. The physician is looking at actual observation and patient history, and the physician is looking at what he or she is seeing on the screen, putting all of that together and telling a very concrete story. Many thanks to Professor Jim Miller for taking the time to meet with us. Thanks to you, too, for tuning in. You can find more Hold That Thought podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Have thoughts of your own after today's podcast? Share them with us on Facebook or Twitter. 